thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Hello, dear sisters. Welcome to the Wild Awake Women podcast. My name is Imogen Bailey. I'm a birth and an end-of-life doula, which is a non-medical support person. I'm also a women's circle educator, and I'm super passionate about the ancient tradition of women coming together and telling their life stories, sharing their stories and their life experience and their wisdom and passing it down to each other so that we can learn and grow through each other and with each other. It is my absolute honor to interview some incredible women and to talk about their journeys, their aha moments, the moments when they've made changes, they've taken risks and they've gone on their life mission from the heart. Well, Wild Awake Women, I have an incredible woman with me this morning to talk to you, Sally Irwin, who is the founder of the Freedom Hub, which is a company, which is a business that helps people who are survivors of human trafficking uh, in Australia. This has been a passion of hers since 2008 when she moved to Germany and her husband was uh, took a diplomat position there and she was really exposed to what was going on with human trafficking and then she has brought that education and information back to Australia, started this incredible business that has a school that helps survivors of human trafficking and also has a couple of businesses that supports that program. So Sally, welcome to Wild Awake Women and thank you so much. Your story is is so important and the work you're doing is amazing. Great, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, yeah, so I what I would love to start with is I guess um, I think it's it's shocking for people to find out that human trafficking and, and modern slavery is going on in Australia, right? Yeah, it is. It's amazing how many people don't know that and I was exactly the same, so I don't blame them. It's just not been a highlighted issue in our country. No, it's definitely not spoken about at all. So can you tell, because I know that you also did an incredible job of um, volunteering at um, the Salvation Army when you first came back to Australia from being in Germany and got a real education there of what is going on here. So yes, we're, be- yes. we're better so, to educate um, us. <laughs> yeah, well, so I've really been working face-to-face with um, people in this situation for sort of eight eight or nine years now. And one of those years was uh, um, foundational for me um, in Australia because the first few years were in, in Europe. Um, but in Australia, that one year I spent at the Salvation Army Safe House. Um, it's the only safe house in Australia for trafficked uh, women. And they have 10 beds, um, which, of course, is nowhere near enough. We all know there's a housing crisis in our country. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I spent time there just trying to really work it out why it was different or what was different to all my experience in Europe. And really what I discovered was that over here we have a lot of people in slavery through the domestic labour scene, Um, very much people that want to be au pairs or house cleaners or cooks. or um, So there's a lot of people in that and also forced labour. So chefs and people working in kitchens and um, and forced labour in like nail salons and car washers and, and all that sort of thing. Whereas in Europe I was mainly exposed to sex trafficking, whereas sex trafficking here is probably around the 40% mark. The rest is to do with labour or forced marriage. So it's quite, it's it's very, very broad here 
from the picking fields in Queensland to um, diplomatic houses in Canberra. There's 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 a huge range of ways people in our country are kept are tricked and captured into slavery. And why do you think that it's not? it doesn't get much attention in the media? Well, mainly because like four years ago, we had no law against it. We had no law against forced labour, forced marriage, organ harvesting, of which we've had a case in our country, and harbouring of persons. So the trafficker could drop somebody off to sell it, sell somebody to somebody and the person that's harbouring or keeping that person in, in, in slavery, there was no law against that. So without a law, it's very difficult for any prosecutions to happen and without prosecutions, there's no stats, so there's nothing to report. So there's everything Everything up until four years ago was sort of we, we think there is and it was all a bit of a guesswork. So now that we've got, and unfortunately, we still don't have many stats because it takes four or five years for a court case to happen. So I would say we will have a lot more evidence and a lot more um, coming up in the next few years, but at least there's laws against it now. So the media are out sort of looking and finding people. But the other major difficulty with um, our media today is that they do want case studies. Mm. And I'm not prepared to put any of my survivors through that, and I think you'll find neither would be the Salvation Army or the Red Cross. So, it's it, unless you've got a unless you want to tell a good story like you are about what we're doing about it, if you actually want um, a situation where you're interviewing a survivor, you're not going to get that in our country. Mm. So it's very hard for them to report. They really want that case study. Um, yeah, yeah none of us none of us want to do that. No, and I, I'm really glad you mentioned that actually because I. Um, was involved in a show called Go Back to Where You Came From for SBS about refugees and I quite often get asked by people in the media, can you put us in contact with this family or can you, um, you know, do you know anyone who's a refugee? And and I go through the same conversation, which is it's not, um, A, I don't, I don't want to put anybody in that situation um, and also when you've got people who are waiting for visas, they're not actually able to speak about their story because people in the community will often say we want to hear people's stories and I think when people hear those personal stories or those case stories, they're definitely more moved and our compassion is stirred, right? But but it yeah. is, it's a catch-22 because there's privacy involved, there's legal um, situations yeah. involved and it's important to protect people. Um Yes, yeah, I think it's a good same, conversation. Yeah, we're, we're exactly the same. Most of them are still mid-court case and, they, you know, there's a lot that can't be spoken, they can't be identified because their lives are at risk with whoever supposedly owns them. Um, and then we've got, we've got to add this whole level of stigma and shame. Mm. You know, it's, it's, it's huge and it's embarrassing. You know, you feel like an idiot that you've been caught up in something like this. How could you be so stupid? Why didn't you run away? All these questions that people that don't have trauma or are not in that experience mm. ask. So you sort of, you know, like you just can't. And then there's the chance of re, re-traumatising. Yes, of so course. There's there's more reasons not to do it than just that, yes, people need to know it's happening, but why do they have to, to see it? You know, like why can't they just trust the authorities and us yes. <laughs> that are working with these yeah. women? That, you know, this is really going on, people. It's just we're trying to protect them and help them and they're very, very vulnerable. They so, are. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And I, I'm, 
I guess when I read your bio, I mean, it's quite incredible. There's somebody who, you know, you rose to the top of the game in, in the corporate space, working yeah. for different uh, companies like Meyer and L'Oreal. And, yeah. you know, I know that you were involved in training as well. You're in senior management. You're a national merchandise buyer for yeah. 80 different stores, you know, do, really like doing incredible work as far as a corporate ladder, you know, career goes um and then for you to make this huge change and that's really what this podcast is about is awake women who have these moments in their lives where they go I'm completely changing direction because I need to be doing this and I I I know that this is your life mission um and so talk to me about the moment that you had and I know it's probably a series of moments but but that chapter for you when you made those huge changes well, the more I meet people that are in this space, <laughs> there's always a story or two that sort of turn the turn the situation. Um, one of mine was, well, um, I knew it was happening in Europe, so over there the first stepping stone for me was volunteering on that street where, where women were being sex trafficked and they um, – and seeing them day in, day out. But there was one particular lady that I talk about that I actually had the opportunity to try and rescue, probably because her English was a bit better than the others. And um, um, I, she was sold by her husband to a, um, to a pimp in Berlin, and um, she was from Bulgaria. And she had five children, and he was an alcoholic, so he needed the money to fund his alcoholism. So he basically sent her over there and made an agreement that she could come back once a year if she'd made enough money to support him and the children. And it really just, really just for me, I just couldn't deal with the fact that a woman, can her whole life, everything became about making that money, like mm-hmm. just whatever she had to sell herself for, if it, if it was $2 without a condom or if it was $20, you know, like well, euros. It was just unbelievable to see her do what she did um, because that was the only thing that kept her alive was seeing her children. Mm. And and I just, just couldn't deal that people could be in that situation. And I tried really hard to, you know, I'm in the diplomatic circle, so we have plenty of money and we, we – I bought her all the equipment she'd need and got it, got all my friends trying to um, help her do cleaning, um, cleaning houses in the diplomatic circles and stuff, but she just never made enough money and um, and she just went back to it. It was just such a hopeless situation and I just can't stand hopelessness. I just, I'm mm. an entrepreneur. If I see a need, I have to have an answer. I have to work out how we can solve that problem. So that really, really, really felt like failure to me and I hate that. I just couldn't. Just couldn't deal that there was no out for this lady, and for the that's her life for the rest of her life, and and I was hopelessly not being able to help her. Being a foreigner didn't help. I couldn't go, you know, I couldn't lobby, I couldn't do anything. Um, so there was all that. So that really impacted me. Finding out it was happening in my country was the next really mm. big, big thing. Um, North Shore girl never occurred to me that I couldn't say what I wanted, and obviously. My career in the 90s, uh, 80s, 90s um, shows you the sort of person I am because it was very much most yes. girls my age had left school to be secretaries or um, nurses. So, you know, it's a bit of glass ceiling stuff. So I'm pretty strong in that regards. Um, I, I, I really had to be that sort of person to get where I wanted to get. 
So um, finding out this is happening in Australia, I thought, well, now I, I can lobby now. I can do stuff. It's in my own language. It's my own country. This is not happening. And, you know, there's no reason for slavery to happen in Australia. It's pure greed. Mm. We do not have the extreme poverty. We do not have corrupt police. We do have border control. You know, there's a lot of reasons this is happening in other countries by the millions. Mm. But in our country, there's no excuse. It's pure, pure greed of people trying to make money out of exploiting others. So um, so I was like, okay, it's game on now. This is it. I'm not going to let this happen in my country. And I don't, I'm very lucky I don't need to work um, to earn money. Um, you know, I made a lot in my time and, mm. and we invested well and my husband's got his own a good career. So, um, so I thought this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And then also um, the direction of I took, because there's many areas you can take. You can be lobbying, you can be raising awareness, you can be fundraising. There's lots of things you can do. But the, one of the reasons I chose the school and educating is because, well, first of all, I do believe that um, education gives people options mm. and better options. It helps you see outside the tunnel that you're in. Um and so they need to see that. But there was a one, the story that I was going to share is there was one girl in that safe house who had been a career woman like me and worked her way up in, in the hotel um, industry as a, um, a manager. And she had 60 staff working for her. So she's not silly. She's, mm -hmm. a, she's a clever, smart woman. And to see her come to Australia to try and learn more about Western hospitality to improve her skills, to study, running out of money, got herself a job. She'd been rescued. She'd been put into the safe house. And I watched her go from, um, I just watched her go from a strong, well, obviously she was upset because what had happened to her. So she was still vulnerable, but um, <clears throat> she, you could tell she had a strength to her. To see all of that just get zapped out of her over a period of a year. By the end of the year, she was staying in her pajamas all day, wouldn't leave her bedroom and and just was on masses of pills and drugs for the um for the depression and mm. the um and anorexia and like it was just horrible and I just thought how can you be in my country and be treated this is a rescued person <laughs> yes how can you be in my country and be treated like this how can you have no hope you know like that was I get it overseas but here this is not on so it was really a I need to help them see that they. Now that they're over their experience, that's bad enough, but there's hope here. You can work <clears throat> 20 hours a week. You can get a job here. Our police, our system will look after you. We can help you. So that's really one of the turning points for me, thinking I've got to start running classes, teach them how to get a job interview, you know, get a good job, how to hold their own, understand Australian culture, our sarcasm, um, you know, yeah. our language, uh, all kinds of things that we run in the school to try and help them feel that they're part of our community. Yeah, and, I, you know, I really applaud you for that because I think it's very easy for people to get lost in lobbying and advocacy and get burnt out or get um, lost in the anger and the frustration and yeah. what I'm inspired by in your story is the fact that you looked at what you stood for and that you have a balanced offering in that you're giving something really positive that's still doing something in the area of advocacy but it's yeah. you know supplying people with skills and and hope and purpose which are you know so, such a 
important ingredients in people moving forward. So I truly yep. applaud you for it and thank you. Um, and I, you know, so with the, the school, because what I also want to talk to you about is the, because I think it's important for people who will be inspired by what you do to understand the side of the business where you've also created this event company and the two cafes yeah. that feed yeah. uh, your the school financially. Yeah, so that came about about a year after I'd been running the school and realised you can't save the world on gala balls. Yes. So <laughs> I've got a, I, no, I'm not about gala ball type of girl. So I um, I thought um, I used to do business and you know what? The business in the 80s and 90s was fairly um, well, borderline corrupt. <laughs> it was, yeah, not like today the transparency wasn't there mm. and there's all kinds of things going on. You know, I've always thought I wonder if I could really run a, a business successfully and, and do it with great ethics and, and have a purpose behind it. It was always there before any of this Freedom Hub came up. So when we got to the point where I'm like, this fundraising business is ridiculous. It's such a hard job. <laughs> I wonder if I can if I can create a business that's going to help fund. So I thought it would be a fun idea to start a cafe. <laughs> yeah. Didn't really, knew nothing about hospitality. I rapidly discovered there is not much money in cafes. It's very tight margins. Um, but fortunately, the building that I um, was um, that I'm in, in in Waterloo, in Alexandria, Waterloo border, um, it's a big, beautiful hundred-year-old warehouse, and of course, that's all very trendy now. So I thought, okay, let's let's turn this into events as well. But the thing about the cafe and the event space is that. Um, the whole the minute I did that, I realised I've thrown myself into the whole modern day um, slavery supply chain issue mm. of not having any, not feeding. We're saving, we're rescuing people and helping people here that are in slavery, but we don't want to be feeding the slave chain overseas. Yeah. So suddenly, I've got to really make sure that all the food that I put on the plate and the coffee and the tea that we serve and everything has got no slavery in the supply chain. So we've been leading the way for small business in that regard. Um, in 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 having slave auditing supply chains and and having affidavits with suppliers and things to make sure that we're we're protecting um, what we believe and our values there. Um, and so what we've done is we've made it so that the basically the the funding that we get from the cafe and the events administrates our charity so that then people that want to donate to actually help survivors still can. Because I don't believe I think. I'm a great believer in this whole social, the, the businesses should be helping own mm. society's problems. 75% of slavery comes from comes out of the private enterprise, so we need to own that. And we can't keep turning to government for everything. And mm. the trouble with government is every time you do turn to the government for government funding or something, they change They change. Well, yes. Governments, and there goes that funding. So you can't successfully really build something unless you've got your own funding. So um, so there's a lot tied up in that. But the added part to my model that I don't believe anybody else is doing is that my suppliers that I partner with, are, they're not just supply chain. They've got to believe in what we're doing to, to go through the work of auditing their supply chains. But in doing that, they become partners with us. So when our survivors need work experience or a job, they will actually be part of that process as well. So as they come out of the school, we actually then get our suppliers to start helping us 
even if they don't permanently employ them, give them some work experience so they get the references required for us to get them the jobs that they do, they can have down the track. So it's pretty holistic in that regards. And I still think community and people want to be part of it and they want to help. So my my little slogan of sort of every Australian should be able to do something about this crime is really added by the fact that we've got um, retail and our coffee. People can, anywhere in the country can buy our retail. It's slave free and they can give that as gifts for Christmas and all that sort of thing. So people can People should be able to realign their spending so they're not actually doing handout like the old necessarily giving mm. money all the time. But we need that still, for particularly for corporates and businesses that have funding. It's great for them to still hand out money and know that that's directly going towards helping a survivor get through their schooling. Um, whereas we're funding the ink and the marketing costs and the, the, you know, the administration costs of running a charity. You know, two, if you raise two thousand dollars for um, re- slavery in Cambodia or Thailand or something, you know, you'll build a refuge for that. Whereas here, two thousand dollars will pay the ink. You know, so mm. we have to come up with a model that's much more successful for the big ticket item of running a charity in our country and helping people in our country. Just their opal cards to get to school can cost us forty dollars. You know, it's, true. It's 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 a lot of money to, to do what we're doing in our country, yeah, mm. so we have to come up with alternative pathways for funding. Yeah, and you, I love that you're so meticulous with every part of the puzzle and I do, I have not heard anybody speak about it uh, in the way that you're speaking about it and you definitely are on the leading edge there and I, I know that many entrepreneurs that are coming up through now the new generations of entrepreneurs are looking for people to you know be their mentors and and be inspired by of how they can have social enterprise and I think you are a great model of that so I hope to see you doing some training for entrepreneurs at some point because I feel like it might be going (laughs) in that direction Um, well you know the timing I don't know if you know this most entrepreneurs most businesses haven't caught on to this yet mm. the modern slavery act that's national Mm -hmm. should be um, it, the bills before Parliament yesterday and the day before, we should be hearing very soon that that's going to come through. But more importantly, this is what people haven't realised, in New South Wales on the 21st of July, a legislation went through and now any single business that has people, whether it's a foreign business or an Australian business, anyone that has employees in Australia, in New South Wales, that has um, that has a turnover of more than $50 million a year, have to do a modern slavery statement on their supply chains by June next year or there's a $1.1 million fine. That's fantastic. So guess who's doing the training or preparing it? Me. Fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. Because it's not only the 50 million plus, you know, all our little entrepreneur friends. Yes. <laughs> if you've got soap and you've actually made sure you've got no slavery in that supply chain and you're trying to sell it to Maya, They've got to make sure their supply chains are free. They're going to pick your soap over the other soap because the other soap business, you know, I'm just giving soap yeah. as an example. No, but it's I'm a great saying, example. There's a great opportunity here for small businesses to pitch to these bigger ones because they've done their due diligence. Mm. And we can help them do that because we're a small business doing it. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. And there's plenty of wild awake women listening to this who I know e- their ears will be pricking up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And well, uh, I'm planning. Great. My plan is by, in the next month or two to have some seminars up and running where people can come to the Freedom Hub and we can run these seminars and help them pitch, work yeah, out how fantastic. to do their pitch. Yeah, fantastic. So tell me about 
Sally as a little girl because Sally as a woman is incredible and I want to know how she got there. <laughs> I think like all entrepreneurs, I was the naughty girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did not like the system at school mm. at all. I would wag and run away and go, oh, my gosh, no. There's probably not a lot. There's just a lot of bad <laughs> stories to tell there. But, you know, I didn't I didn't pass my HC because I was running around doing all the, you know, falling in love with boys. Mm-hmm. Um and I think um, I used to be so ashamed of that. But anyway, <laughs> when you find out Richard Branson, you know, like just all the key entrepreneurs in the world have all failed school, I don't feel quite as bad. Um, I certainly, you know, I ended up getting enough to get into TAFE and I did a business certificate and um, ended up with, you know, doing a – it was Grace Brothers back then, Grace Brothers Company Cadetship. Um, so that fast-tracked me to leadership and management within stores so I, I I was never academic I just it was just too too much fun too many people to parties to go to and things to do in life so yeah there's not really a lot to tell other than <laughs> it's one of the wild ones <laughs> one that's of the all right kids at school. <laughs> you've made me feel better I don't have my year 12 certificate I went to TAFE <laughs> I wagged a lot uh, I understand and it's and and you know it's life experience I know the woman who wrote eight Pray Love gives this great talk that's about um, the hummingbird and the hummingbird collecting all these little different bits and pieces of career and life experience and then, you know, it's this amazing offering which is, you know, obviously what you are today. So I love that story. Yeah, <laughs> I love well, I a think, real yeah. story. <laughs> the entrepreneurship is like the, it's the, it's, it's they're being able to achieve things but with um it's leadership mm. but with creativity and and often leadership comes with academia so it's sort of it's it's a bit different you've got this creative side of you and you won't be put in a box and mm. and but yet you've got the leadership and influence of people that will will be part of what you're doing so it's it's quite different to the leaders of tradition which were people that had studied and 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 you know made it through academia really to get to their positions it's quite yeah it's, but anyway it's just lovely i love i you know when when i first um started getting into this um entrepreneur style when i realized i could create my own model for for business and charity and social i sort of thought oh did i miss this why didn't i think of this 30 years ago <laughs> you know like <laughs> I, I just sort of thought oh my gosh i just i'm so excited that young people today can just walk out of school and create their life they didn't have mm. to follow no longer do they have to follow one of the traditional you must be a teacher or you must be a nurse or you must you know it's it's a wonderful that people can now and the other thing that's added to that is my favourite is just all the many, many platforms that you can have now that can just run business for you so smoothly. I've got a platform for everything. Even even my 20-somethings come in and go, oh, my goodness, how am I going to learn all these platforms? But everything syncs or zaps and it gives you the time to be able to do what you want to do and not have to spend hours at the desk doing systems and and doing the books and, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah. Do you think that we should be introducing training, um, you know, within our, our school system for people to be able to run small business? Because I know we've got lots of people that are coming out of universities now that are not able to get jobs. They've got degrees and they're not able to get jobs. But do you think in the earlier stages, perhaps in high school, that we should be introducing how to run a small business? Oh, I think that'd be great. I think it'd be fabulous. 
I know that right now I do get invited in particularly to home home ec type classes and I get a lot of the food tech at um, TAFE classes and that um, because there's the the young people are demanding it. They mm. want it, they want to learn how to do it. So I'm the show and tell sort of person that goes in and gives them, well, I'm doing it, making it up as I go, but we're doing it. Mm. Um, so I do get invited. So there's definitely a hunger for that. But I just think the whole school system needs to be re- thought through. You it know, does, yeah. I, you know, this sitting down and doing exams and, uh, yeah, anyway. We could have a whole nother (laughs) interview on that, couldn't we? But talk to me about the school that you run for these survivors. Talk to me about that and what that is Yeah, even that's really fluid. It's really, it's very tricky because you'll I'll get school teachers coming in and wanting to try and curriculum, you know, make it a curriculum and and put it into the old old method and and there's a level of need for that too, you know, now that we've expanded into Queensland. But it still has to be really fluid because every single survivor has a different need, has a different level of trauma, comes from a different country, has a different level of English. Mm-hmm. So it's almost more like private tutoring than it is a classroom. Right. But we'll have we'll have three or four of them come at once. So we've we've got to the we, we, it's it's changing all the time because we're we're learning as we go. So we've now got to the point where we're tending to split them up by their level of um, trauma and English more than anything mm. else. Whereas before it was sort of you're teaching them a class or a topic and if you're interested in that topic, you'd be there. But the ones that were, had really poor English couldn't go as fast as the one that had good English and then the ones that really traumatised, they don't recall and remember last week's lessons. So it's really now we're, we're starting to break it down by yeah by their by their level of english and their level of trauma so if they've got a lot of trauma and um poor english the classes are really more like fun workshops it's more like hair and makeup and going on an excursion to coogee and learning how to get the bus and how to have buy fish and chips um you know me being in germany taught me a lot about Mm. how scary it is when you can't speak the language and you've got to buy things at the shops yes (laughs) so we have quite a lot of lessons in just life skills stuff like that just um about australian culture we have fun silly games where they've got to learn all our slang and then do a speech with australian slang and um just really really fun uh everybody else that's speaking to them at this stage are the police the psychologists the doctors the caseworkers and they're all they talk to them about is what happened it's all about what happened to them and and the criminal that they're they're trying to prosecute so we're all about their freedom and their future so we don't talk about their past if it comes up we'll say well we'll talk about that later let's get on with it today we're here to do this we're learning about computers you know like so Mm. we we will keep them focused on their future which is why we call it freedom hub because it's all about their freedom and what they can be and then all the classes are structured to really be at the level that they're at and then we also do have private coaching so if they've got to the point where they just need a job because they're you know not going to get Centrelink mm. or something <laughs> yeah. we have to get them a job um we will have people that will just sit there and do nothing but help them apply for jobs every week do the 20 20 applications they must apply for or whatever and yeah and get those get those applications out so so it's not a nine to five let's all sit at a desk let's work through a curriculum and you're going to get a certificate it's really it's really individualised, what we can do to make you succeed, what are your dreams. To see them dream again is amazing. Um, and then teaching them the life skills to start working towards those dreams. 
So um, and at the moment, a lot of our classes have to be between three and five of an afternoon because the government, this changes every couple of years. Yes. The government's now giving them free English classes um, from nine to one every day, which is intense. Mm-hmm. And no, nobody, I mean, I tried learning German that often. It's so hard to, to do, to learn another language. Anyway, um, so they, we've literally had to stop having all-day classes or all-day things. We've now got more, mainly afternoons running. And then we also do things that are recreational, like swimming classes and yoga classes. We've got people that donate their time to do that with for them, which is fabulous. Amazing. And the local swimming pool is just charging $2 each to go in, and then we've got a teacher that volunteers and teaches them swimming, which is huge. Some of them never even put their feet in water. So, um yeah, and that gives them so much confidence and joy. They love it. So there's, yeah, it's it's a very interesting school. <laughs> yeah, it sounds amazing. And I can't, I can't, from only talking to you for this short period of time, I can't imagine you creating something that would be a factory type education anyway. No. <laughs> I definitely can't see you creating that. Um, but And the, so the outcomes that you see from, you know, everything that you're doing, is it, is it the joy that's inspired the community and the confidence in people? What, is, what are some of the other things? Well, the school's been running for three years now and we've got 12 alumni, which is just so exciting. Mm. They don't have a clue what the word alumni means, but it's very important to us. Yes. <laughs> so um, every single crisis service that's out there for um, people that are in sla- been rescued from slavery is a program and even re- asylum seekers and refugees, you probably know this, and often it's like only 45, 90 dog days. Mm-hmm. There's a few that are 200. Yeah. So we're, because of our relationship with them, we're, 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 um, we're long-term support. So we will have an alumni. So I've got one like from my Salvation Army days that sort of suddenly for the first time in her life she had to fill out a tax form which was a huge thing. Can you imagine going mm. from never earning any money to having to fill out a tax form? Anyway, but, of course, who does she ring? I need help with my tax. So of course, we're going to help her do the tax form. So it's just great to actually help them then live life, just get on with life um, and be there for them as they journey into a new job. You know, there's different forms they've got to fill out or learn to do. or So, so they will come back. And the alumni program for us is really at the moment just – um, having a quarterly um, like reunion, we have a uh, we go out for dinner um, or for lunch. Craniti's have been generously offering that to us lately, and before that, Grilled was doing it um, and giving that to us for nothing. And we'd have eight or ten of them getting together, and they photograph in each other, and they see act as if they haven't seen each other forever, and it's a great reunion. We do that every quarter. But we also starting a sort of we've just only just started this a uh, bit of a Saturday afternoon hangout. Um, because we've discovered that once a year or two out of um, in, in the world and they're living on their own and they're working, there seems to be a real dip in, um, in their emotions because mm. they've realised that the, the excitement of being out there and having their own job and all that, then they've discovered they're actually really lonely. Um, they've got no family or, and they don't make friends easily. So um, we're just – this is a whole new field for us. We're now going, okay – how can we teach them to make friends and how can we help them not feel lonely? So 
um, this is what we're, it's, yeah, new territory for us, but we're there for the long term. So that's, so it's really rewarding. And it's also rewarding to see the ones that want to go home and get, you know, they just want this thing over. They just want to get a job, get money and go back home. Even those ones stay in touch. I had one, um, had a baby and she rang me from the delivery ward in Indonesia. You know what I mean? That's so rewarding. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing. And so, so there are a percentage that do are able to eventually after, is it after court cases and things that are are done that they're able to get home? Yeah, yeah. Whereas before they'd sit in a refuge for five years depressed Mm. and then then the court case is over, then they'd have to try and work out how they're going to get home, yeah. And what happens to them when they get home? What's the... You know, are they sort of in a situation where they're back to square one, where they have no, you know, no way of financially supporting themselves? Or well, the ones that I, the ones that I've stayed in, the ones I know that have gone home have gone home to family. They've got a good, good yes, family. That's good. Most of them won't go home because of the shame on their family, mm-hmm. um, and or a threat to their life. Yeah, yeah, that's that's also important, isn't it? To know yeah. that that's there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and the stigmas. There's there's just a lot of reasons not to go back. Yeah. So I have a few wild awake questions for you. Yeah. The first is, what is something that you got from your mother that affects your mission today or that plays into your mission today? Um, that's a really interesting question. I do know, not, not that I'm an environmentalist particularly, but she was environmental very well before her age. As um, She's 81 now. I grew up with with a lady that refused to use aerosols, and we were, you know, back in those days, people mm. would throw that throw things out the window. They throw as they're yes. driving, you know. <laughs> we'd have to collect ours and put it in the, you know, like she she did, um, yeah, she yeah recycled and like all that stuff. Well, 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 yeah, amazing. Yeah, so I guess she had a conscience that's bigger than the the uh, self. Mm. I can yeah, I can see that you definitely got that. And she sounds yeah. amazing. And what about your grandmother? Ah, my grandmother. My grandmother was a praying woman. She was a religious um, woman who prayed with 36 cousins <laughs> and she prayed for us all by name. Oh, wow. And, yeah, and it's a big family and a strong family and we're all leaders. So, you know, I think, um, yeah, she was a woman of faith. She was quite incredible. And she had seven children of her own, so yeah, she was just a strong, um, achieving woman who really believed in the next generation, which I guess I do too. Yeah. So you said a big, big family, and you're all leaders. Is yeah. That, do you think that that stems from having that strong family unit? Well, interestingly enough, um, it's her. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to say it. Um, her family, her immediate, her immediate, like my father and his brothers and sisters were pretty dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. It's it's strange. It skipped the generation. I think maybe. I hope none of them are listening. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. I have a complex family story, so I know when to move yeah, on. <laughs> yeah, they were, they were um, depression kids, you know. So yeah. they've 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 grown up sort of really. Um, Selfish, like really mm. selfish is probably the right word, to be honest. Um, yeah, um, they were really wanting to buy and save up all their money and buy beautiful things and have antiques in their house and and um, beautiful artwork. And and um, and this isn't just my family. This is that generation, really. Yeah, that, it is. Uh, yeah. It was all about collecting and 
because they've grown up with nothing. Yeah, scarcity. So yeah. it did become very selfish in that regard. I've got to, I've got to make, build a house and have a house and have a car and have everything. Um, so the next generation, which is sort of my generation, we were the opposite. I think we're a bit mm. more, more community focused, or a bit more. I think we are. Well, I am. <laughs> yeah, um, it sounds like you're. It takes a village kind of person. That's yeah. That's how it yeah. sounds, and it's yeah. it's yeah. Wonderful. And I think a lot of my generation are a bit like that. Yeah, I do too. And if you could teach a child one lesson, what would it be? A child. Yes. I don't know. Just don't give up. I'd say. Yeah. Never, never give up. There's, there's always hope. There's no matter how bad things look around you. There's a way out. Wonderful. I love it. <laughs> it's always a good question. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's don't worry, it's always one where people take a breath because it's a big question. It's a big question. Yeah. What if you can only give them one thing? Um, I'm sure we can always all think of ten things, but to whittle it down to one, and I love that you chose hope because it sounds very much like that is the sort of woman that you are um, all the way through your career and your life. So thank you. Uh, and then my the next thing is I want to make sure that people know where to find you and how we can help you. So first tell us what we can do to support what you're doing. And if it's a list of things, that's okay, but tell us how we can help you. Yeah, well, obviously, if you're in Sydney, make this, make sure the cafe works. <laughs> yes. Or the Gold Coast. We've got a new one that we opened up in Palm Beach on the Gold Coast. It's, um, we're trying to raise awareness there so we can build a school up there. Um, so, you know, obviously, we, I really want the, I really want, my, my entrepreneur heart wants the business to succeed mm. so that we can create this model um, because it can roll out to everything, drugs and alcohol, homelessness, everything. We just need to come up with successful social businesses. Um, but if I can, if I can do a little plug, please <laughs> do. Yes, I'm so excited about this. On the twelfth of October, we're having our first day. You know, like there's R U O K Day was yesterday. Yes, and there's a White Ribbon Day. We're having a Fivers for Survivors Day. Love it's it. Really, it's, it's so exciting. <laughs> so I'm trying to get, like, even if it's just three people in an office, just putting in five dollars each and posting, you know, on the selfie. You know, five, we're part of this. Fivers for Survivors. Uh, or big businesses. I've got a friend that works at Pricewaterhouse. She's going to get a whole floor to do it. We're going to run Facebook Live from the from the office. And I'm just thinking, this is my business head going. If we can get businesses all getting involved in this, then it's raising awareness. And our slogan is "Small Change, Big Effect." <laughs> Love it. It's exactly that. If everybody puts in five dollars, we could build a school in because I'm trying to build a school in Queensland, and mm-hmm. I want to get one in Victoria. And um, and, you know, like it costs hundreds of thousands to get these schools set up. So I'm just thinking this is um, a, a, a great idea. Like it's – and it's something that I don't want to spend masses of marketing on. So it's going to be a word of mouth and people posting. Um, so, yeah, getting involved in Fibers for Survivors would be awesome because – and everyone can do that, you know, from home as a mum or in, a, in an office or in a business, anywhere. It'll be just – all just doing it on the day. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's amazing. Well, I will definitely now as we're speaking pledge my support for you uh, and <laughs> we'll you. get behind it. So whatever you need me to do to so, help, you you know, okay. you can contact if email, me. If yes. everybody emails five is four survivors and the four is a four because yes. it shortens the length of the email, five is four survivors at thefreedomhub.org. 
if you email that, I will send you the full planning kit. I've got a media kit. We've got some videos. We've got posters and you can put up if you need to. We've got everything in this kit. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I'll make sure that in the show notes that that's there so that um, our listeners and I have a Facebook group called Wild Awake Women, so I'll make sure that that goes in there too. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's just wonderful work what you're doing. And and are you on social media? Yeah, so we're Freedom Hub Org. Great. So we can follow you. That's on all handles. We can follow you. And just the two locations of the cafes as well. So the Sydney one is 283 Young Street, Waterloo. Yes. And the Palm Beach one is, it's Shop 7, but it's number two, Fifth Avenue, Palm Beach. Wonderful. So we can pop in there for for a coffee and something to eat. And the event part, do you, so what sort of events do you do? So, people, look, we have everything. We've got Ben and Jerry's there for two days next week. So we've got all the corporates that book their product launches or want to run seminars there during the day or in the afternoons. We have a wedding nearly every weekend. We have bar mitzvahs. We've had 21sts. Um, then we've got a really lovely, beautiful meeting room at the back that I've deliberately designed because I got sick of trying to run meetings in in coffee cafes with rocky tables. So I've got this lovely, it's a dining room and it's, you know, it looks very French with a French chandelier and everything, but it's beautiful for meetings. So it's a meeting space people can book as well. Um, So, yeah, and loads of women come and, you know, have their meetings there. And it's just a nice place to sit and have, um, just sit and work from home. If you're you're an entrepreneur that's on your own Mm. working there, work and come in on the 12th when we're doing our big rally day for the yes. <laughs> survivors. Yes. Well, yeah. you've just given so much information and, and, you know, you truly are an inspiration. And I guess the one kind of final thing that I'd like to ask you is because I know that the women that listen to this um, and there are, I know there are a few men as well, but um, they, you know, that with women who want to make changes and take risks and follow our hearts. And as somebody who has truly done that, what would be your message to a woman um, out there who has discovered something like you discovered where they want to make it their life mission? What would be your piece of advice for them on moving forward or getting something off the ground? Um, well, tell your story. Just tell your heart. That's the thing. Mm. I, You know what? I, I've done all the courses on putting together a perfect pitch <laughs> and business plan and, you know, canvas, blank canvas, all that stuff. Anyway, um, business canvases, I've done all that. And every time I've gone for a pitch, I, 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 they've rarely succeeded. But if I've gone to lunch with somebody and just told them my story, I can walk away with a $10,000 check, you know, mm. like it's – Honestly, just being exactly who you are, be yourself. Because you know what? Every single person that wants to wants to donate to your business, they're not actually donating to the idea. They're donating to you. They're actually going, they're actually saying, can this person carry off what they say? That You know, the idea is not the big thing. The big thing is you. Are you capable of carrying it off? And if you've got the passion and the drive to do it, that'll come out in your conversation with them and they'll go, I believe in you. That's what they're betting on, not the idea. So true. Words of a wise woman. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Sally. It's been an absolute delight and thank you for the work that you're doing and thank you for educating us 
on an issue me. that really needs some attention. And we look forward to what was the date again for Five Us for The 12th of October. The 12th of October. We will be there. Yes. Thank you. That's so good. Thanks, Sally. Bye. Bye. Well, sisters, thank you so much for joining us on Wild Awake Women, and I look forward to delivering you a new episode in a couple of weeks' time. If you'd like to join our private Facebook group, you can send a member request to at Wild Awake Women, where you will find lots of Wild Awake Women with many offerings. We share articles with each other. We share therapies, modalities, tips, and all sorts of things. So it's a great place to connect with like-minded women send a membership request there if you're interested in becoming a women's circle facilitator or if you want to explore workshops retreats or support groups for women then i encourage you to take a look at my online course it's available through my website which is imogen-bailey.com or also on my doula website which is honoringheart.com i really enjoyed this episode and i look forward to being with you again soon This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.